Hello there, Beard here. So good afternoon, good evening, good morning, handy listeners, handy viewers, such as you are. That introduction gets longer every single time. Um, surprise again. So we've seen over the last couple of weeks um, Ronan's teaser videos, and I am joined here once more by a, a new and interesting combination. I'm joined by Mr. Sherwin Matthews. All right. <laughs> and Mr. J.B. Perkins. Hello. Hello, gentlemen. Are you well? Apparently not. No, yes. No, we're all good. Thank you. Um, extremely, extremely busy as late. Lots of different things to be getting on with, especially this this new set of captains. But otherwise, well, personally, shall we? Marvellous. Uh, so the virus that Jamie brought into the office that somehow <laughs> managed to affect me, um, I don't quite know how, miles and miles away, is still kind of ravishing my system. So apologies in advance if I have to stop to have a coughing fit. That seems um, fair enough. And you should also not be surprised that Jamie is able to communicate his viruses electronically. <laughs> no, no. I'm, unfortunately, I am painfully analog in a digital age, and Jamie is demonstrating why my virus software does not work. There we go. Perfect. It's it's because you've switched over to Google Drive. Uh, away, away from the delights of Dropbox. Um, so, if I am correct and my time machine is working, today is April sixth. Happy salute, um, and we are here to discuss. A collection of new models. Um, I am somewhat in the dark, it has to be said, handy listener. Uh, and you may remember the last caption reveal, I very cruelly tricked my uh, my co-hosts, Panzer and Connor, into discussing something else um, before revealing that we were to discuss four new captains. And I have, some for some reason, asked Jamie and Sherwin to do the same thing to me by some kind of way of twisted retribution. So, weirdly... Beyond some artwork, I have no idea <laughs> what we're going to talk about. Um, so, gentlemen, where would you like to begin? Um, probably by sending the files. <laughs> that sounds like a hugely cutting it's, idea. It's pretty good. So I've just I've just clicked send, and we're going to have some glorious radio just now whilst we wait for, for Rich to receive that email. <laughs> It's a freaking beard. I mean, the, the really cool part is that I am currently recording a podcast live at Salute, apparently, according to the time machine, which is interesting. Yes, and I'm <laughs> which, given I'm currently stood in the queue waiting to buy the things, I have no idea what they are. Uh, <laughs> assuming they're there. You've got amazing sound quality for being stood in a queue of a few thousand people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, there is this. Hello. Um, well, then, it makes sense to go through the document in order. Yes, cool. Um, so I'm cu- <laughs> I am I am currently um, looking at Culverin. Um, let's show and let's come to you first. What can you tell me about this lady? So Culverin is a blacksmith. Mm-hmm. That's it. Nice. Uh, thank you very much. Oh, Jamie. Yeah, yeah that's uh, good. <laughs> that, so, uh, so Culverin is known as the Silver Admiral. Uh, so if you can envision, sort of the origin story for Culverin is uh, she is a blacksmith master. She's sort of posted out on the kind of fringes of um i'd say the known world part of a sort of part of our continent probably somewhere in the region of uh, maybe indar or saltar kind of area 
and um, this is obviously going back a fraction now. We we find that her fleet is attacked by the tyrant. So, uh, sort of um, the base where she works, where her workshop is, is excuse me, is attacked by Blackheart as his fleet. Now, during that battle where this this outpost is completely destroyed militarily, um, she kind of leads out one of the few ships that sort of survive it, this, this great galleon or whatever, and they kind of sail, sail off with whatever crew they can scavenge mm-hmm. and find themselves just about sort of limping away whilst everything else is destroyed around them, including, of course, the captain of that ship who is subsequently you know, killed in action, so she finds herself commanding them. Okay. Um, skip forward a few sort of you know weeks or so and they make landfall uh, and Culverin immediately sets around kind of ordering all of the crew to start repairing things that sort of stuff uh, set up kind of you know a place for refugees to assemble and at that point sooner or later she starts building up this quite uh, sort of large fleet of stragglers or these refugees who've been sort of you know victims of the uh, of the tyrant to the point where she actually finds herself and I, I'm not going to use the term warlord because it's worth pointing out with Culverin, she's very much the opposite end of what you would have of a pirate. If you imagine, okay. if you watch kind of Pirates of the Caribbean, she's not Johnny Depp and the cool guys. She's mm-hmm. the other end. Gotcha. Uh, so very much she's kind of built up this fleet. She has this sort of great navy, um, which is pretty much like as well-armed and as powerful as kind of a sovereign state navy where she's picked up so many different stragglers, so many different ships. And obviously, at the same time, she's very, very skilled as not only administrator, but also obviously in terms of what her craft is. So they're very well armed. You know, the armaments on these things is crazy. And she, at this point, really then has the ability to kind of police the seas somewhat. Now, we skip forward to sort of more contemporary times, and we find that Culverin is this master who's been out on the fringes. All of the other blacksmiths are aware of her. And she's suddenly now come forward into the world of Guildhall. No one is exactly quite sure why. I mean, there's also <laughs> quite a few rumours. It could be that, you know, she's looking for a new challenge because she's realised that, hey, my fleet and my holdings pretty much run themselves now. Yeah. You know, I've got capable underneath me. It could be that she's kind of, you know, even perhaps looking for a new sort of a lucrative kind of enterprise that she's somehow going to sort of turn this to make a good coin. And it could, of course, be that she's come across another young lady. Yes. Um, by oh. the name of Cutlass. Okay. The opportunity to take on a protozoary. I love, I love the um, the uh, the artwork that Doug's done here with like the little shells emblazoned on the on the breastplate, and the it still has that incredibly um, blacksmithy vibe to it, but at the same time being a bit more lithe, for want of a better word. Um, this because... is one of the best. This is one of the most challenging, I think, um, art briefs that I think Doug has ever received. So we need you to make a pirate that's also a blacksmith, Doug. <laughs> yeah, you know that well-known uh, metal, that well-known thing that floats. Well, I suppose it yeah. does, but in this world, phenomenal. All right, I'm curious then how she interacts with Cutlass, but I'm gonna not get overexcited. Um, and Mr. Perkins, turn to you. She's an interesting one. Yeah, so um, from a mechanical standpoint, the place that we really wanted to start with was like as you know, kind of obviously a nautical, a nautical theme uh, mm. in terms of their abilities. Um, and at first, we, we we looked for a couple of different places we could take inspiration from. Um, and particularly when it came to the names, actually, it took us a long time to name these characters okay. because unfortunately, um, all of like the the 
nautical blacksmithing has very scientific and unfortunately uninspiring names. Like, for example, <laughs> we looked up we looked up underwater welding, and it's apparently it's called hyperbaric welding, which is a fantastic word. You can't it's name a wonderful anything word, after yeah. that, though. No. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> so uh, that's and that's the kind of thing we normally look for in terms of the naming strategy. And it also helps us to inform the kind of choice we want to make. Um, so instead, we turned away from the sort of the welding and blacksmithing a little bit and went to a, a related subject, which is obviously weaponsmithing, and you know something that is often related to naval combat is cannons. Um, and so culverin is actually the name for, I believe it's like a medieval cannon. It's, it's called a culverin or one of the types of cannons that were around mm. at the time. Um, and the uh, the in terms of the game mechanics, the link between the two is that um, Cutlass is effectively the loader of a cannon and Culverin is like the spotter of a cannon. Uh, I don't know if you can fully see on the artwork there, but she's supposed to be holding like a spyglass. In the yes, spyglass and, 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 and has I spy, and, which certainly uh, makes sense. Precisely, yes, and has ice by as well, which is uh, another very you know, incredibly useful buff for the blacksmiths, and uh, is another another and that helps us fit into the archetype again of, of that the master is that to set up miniature and doesn't really do too much of the personal work themselves in terms of causing damage. Uh, and Culver, and, uh, sorry, Cutlass, therefore, is going to be the person that is outputting that damage um, as part of that pair. Um, and it made sense, therefore, for Cutlass to be that that loader of fire. Now, at one point. I don't know how much I can say about this, I guess, but I'm going to dive into it. At one, at one point, we were consi- actually genuinely considering having a third miniature uh, with this pair, which was going to be a cannon. <laughs> uh, and, then, and, and we had a lot of conversa- different conversations about it, and we decided it wasn't the route that we wanted to go down. But we actually started off with the cannon um, being as a replacement goal goal marker, uh, which is going to be a 50mm base cannon that people could replace their goal marker with. That's and the idea cool. was, the original concept was that the, the range for the shots being fired by the cannon so the, the, the character plays from Cutlass would be measured from the goal piece as this cannon's being fired. Um, and so for a couple of different reasons, and also because it was a bit mechanically um, a bit mechanically obtuse, for, for mm. lack of a better phrase, we decided to go for something slightly simpler. Now, uh, in terms of ranging those abilities. Now, I'll come on to Cutlass a bit later on. We said we we're going to start talking about Culverin first. So that's the overall concept. Um, that- going into the deep- Sorry, go ahead. That's very interesting because I've I've literally just looking at the first page. I have no idea yep. what comes up afterwards. So I'm going to assume we're going to be talking about Cutlass in a minute, which is fascinating. Yes, yes, um, indeed. But before I get to that, as someone as as well, you gentlemen know who prefers a more defensive, grindy style of gameplay. The back of Culverin's card is mm. <laughs> um, so quench very much in the line of sort of burnishes traits. Yeah, it's, there's a very specific thing we wanted to do with Quench, actually, which is that the, the blacksmith, an, an, un, an unintended consequence of how the blacksmiths interact with condition damage, specifically, I guess, smoke, if you want to, is that yeah. they are particularly, uh, they have a particular weakness to the smoke damage playstyle in the fact that they that their apprentices tend to have around 12 health. And that's interestingly about the kind of damage that, that Smoke can put out in a single turn if he wants to, including a legendary yes. play. <laughs> so Smoke Alchemists can kind of go through Apprentices a lot quicker than we perhaps intended for most teams to, to do. I mean, Apprentices, not supposed to be the most hardy uh, miniatures in, in, in the game in general, but like a hot knife through butter is probably not far off a good, decent analogy there. So Quench is an ability that we want to put in that would specifically kind of combat actually condition damage um, mm. because we couldn't put in something that would give them tough hide to character players because condition damage would get around that so this is something that they take the damage and then they heal one in return so it's you're kind of reducing the damage incoming from character players by one so specifically to read that one out because it's kind of a weird character play uh, weird character trait sorry 
to quench, which is a one-inch aura. Um, when a friendly model within this aura suffers damage from an enemy character play after the character uh, after the character play is resolved, the friendly model may recover one health. So it's effectively reducing the damage of those character plays by one. Yeah. Um, interestingly, if you can combine that in certain circumstances where it's not condition damage, you can combine that with the tough hide from Anvil. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering that. Um, that. That's essentially no damage. Yeah, yeah. In a lot of cases, yeah. Um, Although you, you take you take a you take a, like a, a dead bolt from Ballista, and then it's three damage. Actually, no, it's one, mate. Sorry about that. <laughs> well, the the other thing I was wondering there is presumably that's still going to cause any abilities which require a hit and to do damage to have done their thing because of how that's worded. Yes. Uh, so, like, momentous inspiration will still trigger, even though against a tough hide model within that aura, you've done no damage. Yes, absolutely. That is mm. that is correct. Um, That's interesting. Yeah, uh, and the other thing is about quench as well because it's a, a one inch aura. It doesn't just affect um, apprentices, by the way. It will affect everybody around Cauldron, yes. just as reinforced plating does on uh, Burnish. Um, and it, it was just really cool in that you have another another one of these defensive one inch auras that the blacksmith signs seems to be amassing quite a lot of. And you can now you're now getting to a point where there's a lot of these different auras to pick from. You've got a, three mm. sentinel masters. You have reinforced plating on Burnish. You've now got quench on Cauldron. You can you, there's a, a number of different combinations of these one inch protective auras that you can take around and really customize mm. your team and continue to go down that blacksmithing route of customizing your team at the uh, at the model selection point uh, which they certainly flex into more than any any other team in Guildball really they're really picking and choosing their tools before the matchup starts Um, and then that's just pushed even further by the batten down the hatches legendary play Um, so kind of like it starts off as like a massive version of Estus's heroic uh, just removing all the conditions and then when taken as a captain you then further buffing what you're getting from quench by yeah, that's then immediately, fine. Just, just, immediately just, recovering three health for everybody as well yeah, just heal 18 health across your team just yeah <laughs> not a problem not a problem at all no. uh, so this so so Culverin really does represent another sort of i mean batten down the hatches is a really really appropriate name for so many different reasons but really does just is a different kind of form of tanking for the blacksmiths if they yeah. really need to do it so if if anvil isn't quite bringing the right kind of tanking for you, you've got a slightly different kind of almost techie tanking option for culverin yes. and it's specifically useful into some of their problematic matchups such as smoke alchemists um and the other thing we needed to hit in overall with I mean, this is this started off as being a thing we needed to sort with Cutlass, in that she was and originally announced to be and is still classed as a goalkeeper. Goalkeeper. And yeah. the way in which you have to put a goalkeeper into Blacksmith is not immediately straightforward because you not only goalkeepers quite a lot of the original ones are often linked to the goal, um, the goal marker themselves, or the goal post yeah. themselves, and we didn't really want that to be the case with the Blacksmiths because. The, the master and the apprentice link where they should be really be trying to keep together as often as they can is something that we felt that was more important than having to have Cutlass linked to being near to the goal. We didn't want them to be too many positional problems for the blacksmith to solve. They already have enough of those due to the one-inch auras I've already talked mm. enough about. <laughs> so instead we went with a lot more, the much more flexible um, getting the goal character play on Culverin so you can literally turn any of your uh, blacksmiths that turn into your goalkeeper for that one turn, which could also be Cutlass. Now, there is there are more abilities as well on Cutlass that are kind of a little bit goalkeeperish, but it's kind of, the way in which we attack this issue is that we kind of made, well, we made Culverin and Cutlass both, I believe, both have the yeah both have the goalkeeper player type that makes and, they, sense. and between them they kind of share the responsibilities of being a goalkeeper okay um, so. I, did, I, I did wonder um just as you know initial reading of the card if the if this getting goal would be apprentice only but it's it's quite nice to see that it's it's still just a friendly model yeah. um because the idea of a 50 mil faris 
uh, blocking line of sight and having goal defence is quite nice. Yep. Um, okay, that's interesting. I like, you know, she's that pretty standard master 5-7 move, a brewer playbook or master playbook. 3-2 death armour with 19 wounds. She's not going anywhere quickly um, and her playbook certainly set around set up rather than output. Um, let's have a little look. Turn the page. Cutlass Sherwin, have we well, now? Obviously, we've seen a fair amount of info from Cutlass from the Free Cities draft stories. Mm. Oh my god! Sorry, I've just seen the things. Um, I'm trying to ignore <laughs> the card. I'm now trying to ignore the card while talk to Sherwin. Sherwin, have we seen any development in the character since the sort of the Free Cities draft stories so, that have been put out? So Cutlass was always one of the most difficult, I think, characters of the Free Cities draft, um, purely because. By nature, Cutlass's character is a very enigmatic one. Um, think, uh, but I'm going to go back to Pirates of the Caribbean again. It's Cutlass is very, yeah, <laughs> Cutlass is very much Johnny Depp in that. Um, having never seen those movies, I can't, other than clips, I can't talk too much as to who the character is. But in my mind, it's very much this kind of um, slightly unusual, quirky character. Mm. Is really where Cutlass was coming from. And we didn't really get to explore by, that by much, well, that much by nature of, you know, obviously, the type of character during the actual main narrative. So a lot of the part where we came to the epilogue story was really introducing Cutlass for the first time. You know, who is this person? You know, why, you know what, what, how does she think? You know, what's her perspective? That sort of stuff. So that kind of, I think, led into a lot of where we've seen development-wise. But one of the things since she's arrived with the Blacksmiths Guild has really been, for a start, this real sense of relief that you've got to understand wherever Cutlass has been previously hasn't necessarily been, hasn't really necessarily ended up terribly well for her. She's kind of gone from place to place. You know, I'm going to be a pirate, joins the pirates, realizes that that life is really not very nice whatsoever and not really for her, uh, leaves and then kind of goes to, you know, the rookie Academy, but realizes this may be fantastic, but it's completely transient. You know, I'm I'm only here for a set period of time, Mm. so I don't really want to settle down too much. I think in her epilogue story, um, we had some degree of, um, this sense of trepidation, you know, what, what's waiting for me, where am I getting to, mm. that sort of stuff but since she's arrived, obviously and discovered Culverin, who's sort of taken her under her wing there's been this real sense of relief and now the two women are obviously starting to work together on the field um, a lot part of that sort of maverick kind of goalkeeping that we heard um, let's talk of in the scouts from the Free Cities draft, is really kind of being solidified by Culverin so stuff like getting the goal, that sort of stuff she's now got almost uh, a tutor to kind of, you know, a tutelage to kind of say, do this thing for me. Like, mm. You know, kind of, if, if you can envision that um, Cutlass is a character very much who, you know, I want to be a goalkeeper, I'm going to do this and this. It's this sort of untamed potential that hasn't ever really been focused down. And that's exactly what Culverin is doing with her. Fascinating. Fascinating. All right, Jamie. This is a thing. Uh, yes, yes it is. Um, so I'm, really, I'm really... guessing with both broadside and chain shot, is this kind of like a uh, hangover is not the right word, echo of that you know, measuring from the goal token that isn't? Yeah, so this is the way in which we decided to mm. make that slightly simpler, but still being quite unique uh, and given this idea that the, the cannon isn't on the field and these two are loading and firing the cannon and kind of, I guess, remotely, however that happens, shall we? Uh, <laughs> so a vision that basically these two are effectively signalers and yeah. if you can envision that Culverine is further down the field, kind of, you know, 
pointing out the spots that where we're going to actually blast down with the cannon. Obviously, Cutlass is a little bit further down, sort of almost exactly as you might have on a ship, kind of this sort of chain of command kind of shouting system, or, you know, in the case of these guys, maybe sort of, you know, the... Uh, the lanterns or whatever, and mm. then cut, and then Cutlass is really the one who's ordering the, who's basically ordering the fire, because she's further back towards the edge of the pitch, so therefore can order the crews actually manning the cannons at the edge to actually open fire. Yeah, we've um, certainly got visions of um of the crew stood on the the side of the stadium, you know, furiously signalling to a ship in the harbour with semaphore. You've got it. Uh, <laughs> as mortar teams bombard the pitch, phenomenal. How's that not a foul? Um, well, alchemists can do it. Why not blacksmiths? So, well, there's nothing in the rules to say you can't. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, uh, the more we talk, Sherwin, the more I wonder just how much is in the rulebook for for Guild Ball. The, it, the problem it, with Guild Ball's rulebook is it's this very archaic tome that no one can really agree <laughs> should, anyone should have possession of. And, and the great thing is, is that to come together, they'd almost have to have this great coalition of guilds who don't like each other whatsoever to kind of make any changes in it. And that's really the sort of push. That's really the limiting factor of that document. <laughs> no one's quite sure what's in it and no one really wants to be the first person to set up and go well I'd like to see the document because that's a sign of weakness yeah no, that's fair enough <laughs> equally as, a, as an enormous baseball fan um, if, you go and, <laughs> if you go and read the, the baseball constitution which was written in 1893 uh, the archaic language in that um, and, the, and the impenetrable language used within that document tells me that this would be much much worse <laughs> yes that's fair um, so Jamie, coming back to you, so broadside and chain shot, um, just bombarding, I love the idea of, of broadside, just bombarding um, the centre of the pitch, especially as he puts down two AoEs, that's new. Yep. <laughs> um, this this one, this one, I suppose we can nickname as a Matt Special. Uh, in the, in the, that's entirely fair. Occasionally we'll get some concepts from Matt and he's like, I want to do this. And then when we stop laughing, uh, and we and we try and figure out how it's actually going to work, and we go, actually, that's not completely bonkers. Let's have a go. Yep. Um, and yeah, yeah, it kind of came as like a, an evolution, I guess, if, uh, of um, of Blast Earth, really. Um, and that's uh, and yeah, I think yeah, we experimented with the idea of them having to be like linked together and stuff, and that's not that's not the case either. They just have to be placed both within range. Um, yeah, I was, I, was, I was going to ask to clarify that this is a both AOEs must be placed um, within six inches. This isn't like a, a throwback to the 1980s thud gun where you then sort of chain AOEs um, from one another. No, that's not the case. We did we did consider that, but again, just trying to keep things as trying to keep things as simple as we can whilst introducing a, a high degree of flavour. So this is an experimentation, really, in what we could do with um, with power level. One a specific thing with power level, because of the way that these car- character players are both worded, broadside and chain shots, uh, the, both of them have the first sentence. This player's range is measured from the friendly culverin. If you get to a situation where Cutlass is on the pitch and the enemy team has managed to take out culverin, Cutlass's front card effectively becomes blank. You can't use these character plays. Yeah. Um, but what that allows you to do on the flip side of it is therefore experiment with having dramatically much more powerful character players than you would normally would have and playing with that cost as well. So these only have, mm. both only have a cost of two, but their broadside putting down two AoEs, Massive. which could potentially, yeah, could either, you could spread those around in different places because they don't have to be linked together um, uh, to put a, to put rough ground all over the diff- uh, all over the pitch, or you could put them on the same uh, miniatures and try and roll that two damage twice on them to put four damage mm. down. On two. Still only has a cost of two. It's definitely not a cost two character play <laughs> normally uh, to, put, <laughs> to, put, to put four damage on multiple miniatures. Um, but this idea that you're kind of paying that extra little bit of cost here because you're having to measure this from a different place 
um, and the fact that if that other related model covering is not on the field, you actually can't use these plays at all. And yeah. it's the same thing, same thing with chain shot. Um, again, this play's range is measured from the friendly covering. Target enemy model suffers three damage on the knockdown condition. That's dead bolt. Yeah, yeah. C- captains normally, well, often have a little bit more leeway mm. to have slightly more powerful character players than everyone else. This is a captain level ability that's on a squaddy, um, yeah. effectively. So, yeah. Uh, and so we're interested to see where this one goes, really. And it's it's really taking the idea of that the that you've got this this idea of the cannon being fired from long distance away and then measured from a different place and then have an impact on the pitch. It was an interesting thing that we want to have a look have a look with. Um, and presumably, and... like just purely from a from a mechanical standpoint, it's measured from. It's not counts as coming from. So if Culverin is crowded out, that's not going to impact your dice pool in any way. It's purely the measurement from that model. Correct. Uh, mm-hmm. And also, say if you put tooled up on Cutlass, that will impact the the damage of these character players. If you put tooled up onto Culverin, it will not impact the damage of these character players. Because um, as you say, it's just specifically the measurement. Um, uh, and on top of that as well, coming back to what I said earlier about the, the responsibilities for a goalkeeper kind of being split between the two of them, you've mm. also got uh, a nice little ability on the back of Cutlass's card called Quick Off the Line. So um, this idea that we try it with this one, we're kind of experimenting the idea of like your goalkeepers jumping in front of a shot. Yeah. Um, so when an enemy model declares a shot before the shot is resolved, this model will make a two inch dodge. This allows Cutlass to be able to move in to, um, to, to obscure the shot by being an intervening model. Or if there are other models already. Uh, provided you know already obscuring the shot and being intervening it could possibly allow cutlers to move into base to base with them and therefore block line of sight and <laughs> and increase yeah. the difficulty of the shots as well the, um, other, thing, so- the other thing i I really like about this just sort of from lulling not lulling your opponent but maybe a little gotcha is of course if you've got getting goal from culverine on cutlass but she's outside of four inches of the goal and your opponent thinks, ah, oh, fantastic, you know, I've got an opportunity here to score a goal, and then you use quick off the line to dodge back into the four inches, presumably that's going to impact the target number. Uh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so it's interesting, just to jump in here, for me that's it's very much the uh, the push-pull of what I was talking about earlier, where you have Culverin is really kind of the learned master taming this raw ability on her apprentice. We have this idea that uh, Cutlass is that character who's jumping off the line to kind of try and stop the shot, that kind of thing. Very impetuous, very youthful kind of exuberance. And then Culverin, by comparison, is that character, you know, is the sort of master who's like, no, no, get back. Like, yeah. You know, hold, you know, move back towards the goal. Like, yeah, you're out of position, that sort of stuff. Hold and the I line. Think, yeah, exactly. And I think they've got this really nice kind of push-pull there, which obviously works not only thematically, but obviously from a rules perspective as well. Mm. Um, then looking at her playbook... This is very reminiscent of, of, of Cast and Veteran Cinder. This, you know, we've got that big, nice, fat spike of a momentous six at the top of the playbook. I think now only Bolt doesn't have something like that from an apprentice perspective, and even then he's got a non-momentous four, which for a striker is still not exactly insignificant. So it's very much wanting to continue that, that vein of big um, spike damage from apprentices, Jamie. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, in terms of um, just how the blacksmiths are generally set up, because you have this very rigid framework of you have three setup and support models and you have three output models in terms of damage, at least anyway, mm. um, then 
because a, a number of other teams are allowed to flex that, whether you can just take all output models or you can take a greater degree of support models, the blacksmiths don't have that flexibility, weirdly. They actually, like, you have your choice in the flavor of support and output models, but, but you are set into that ratio of three and three, which means that we've, we have to, we've learned over time that we have to focus all of the, the apprentices into being such incredible output models because you only have three of them. Mm. Um, and that's just being continued again through Cutlass, um, as, as you've seen it previously. Not to quite the same extent as, as other sledge for instance because the purpose of cutlass is slightly sure. different you obviously have this much more of an emphasis on these range damage character plays and not necessarily going in and engaging in melee she certainly can um but that's she, there are other apprentices that are going to be better than her at that and uh, just doubling down on that as well with the fact that she also brings tutelage again to the to the, mm. to the guild or even more free character plays and these character plays are absolutely lovely ones to have um but this yeah, is like what the, the third instance of tutelage in in um in guild Yes, the third, I believe, yeah. yeah. And uh, presumably so then her influence is capped at three just so that we don't end up to having like a, a captain equivalent style activation where she's able to put down four, um, four damage from broadside and then pour four influence into melee attacks in, um, into, uh, into, um, into opponents. I mean that, yeah. I mean, actually, I mean, you could get some serious, some serious damage out of Cutlass if you just uh, mm. the chain shot, then you're knocking them down with three damage, and then just put three more attacks into them. That's still a reasonable it's, amount of damage, it's, it's, especially if tooled up. Like that's going to be absolutely. You know, people will be salivating that, I'm sure. Yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, but but you're right. There has to be it has to be a reasonable cap on there. And yeah. I'm pretty sure that that one three influence cap is actually the same for the other two characters that have tutelage. Both Sledge and Bolt both have that one three because oh. they have tutelage. I had not noticed that, but very well made. Um, before we move on to whomsoever the next model is, and I've not peeked ahead, tempting as it is, I suppose the elephant in the room, therefore, with regards to release schedule, is why is it are blacksmiths getting their free cities draft rookie at the same time as as Culver and their new captain, purely because there is no other way of of that making sense. Yes. Uh, yes. Literally that. Um, Because because blacksmiths are designed to come out in pairs, it made absolutely no sense for Culverin and Cutlass to come out uh, at different time periods because, um, especially when you can see from the cards, they're so intrinsically linked together as a lot of blacksmith apprentices and masters are. So so the blacksmith gets out of their free seat draft rookie a bit early. Nice. Congratulations, blacksmiths. All right, then I'm going to turn the page. Hello, big fella. Oh, Jesus. Right, Corker. Um... I'm just loving these little three-second reactions of, I'm just going to take a quick scan before we have to go and talk about story. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, that's what he's doing. He's, he's mostly ignoring everything I'm saying while he looks at the card. Now um, showing that is true. Um, <laughs> but however, I am recording it so I can listen back later. No, I'm joking. Um, so, catch the Brewers showing not been having the best time of late, I think it's fair to say. Well, they got their story. They've been asking for their story for ages. <laughs> That's all uh, I'm going to commit to. Nice. No, so, so Corker is. Very, it's fair to say that the Brewers haven't necessarily had the uh, the easiest of times in their lives over the last uh, little while. Season four wasn't necessarily a Brewer friendly place, despite mm. having their first bit of narrative. So, one of the things that we're really seeing now is the guild is very much rebuilding. Um, Tapper has kind of assumed command, as it were of the guild and for a large part i think that's mostly because esther's has kind of felt the need to step away from her power struggles for the time being those two have definitely kind of come the yeah, hostilities between tapper and esther's have really come to an end now so she's almost gone into a period of mourning 
effectively, yes. She's mm. obviously taken her time away, kind of refocusing on what's yeah, what is for the good of the guild. Um, obviously, in terms of whilst one of the things that is best to understand of Esther's is while she always had the good of her guild at heart, she realizes now perhaps that her methods weren't necessarily perhaps the best. Yeah, there there was some there was some sense in what Tapper was kind of moving towards, and. Um, so now that's sort of over, Tapper is kind of looking around, knowing that his guild is quite decimated, and really looking for support outside. So one of the things he started to do is talk to, as you can, well, as you can imagine, Tapper is an older character who's very mm. affable, and he's certainly had a great deal of connections over the course of his life. So he's really gone to some of the players who are sort of outside, or some of the potential individuals who might make the squad outside of kind of the urban areas where the brewers are traditionally recruited from. Gotcha. And he's now got to the sort of, you know, the very much the highlands, the sort of out there kind of very um, rustic, very kind of um, rural kind of areas and sort of gone to some of the northern clans. And Corker is a great example of pretty much a leader within one of those kind of um, one of those sort of real sort of societies. So you have this great strapping mountain of a man. Yes. Uh, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's fair to say he's a huge, huge kind of guy with a massive keg over one shoulder, for example, that sort mm. of stuff. Outwardly very boisterous, outwardly very sort of strong, very powerful. But it's worth pointing out he's not he's not a rival with Tapper. They're very much kind of, um, you know, they are allies. They aren't, you know, there's, there's no animosity between the pair of them. And all a lot of observers will see with Corker is really that, well, he's far more shrewd than he appears to be. He's not some big drunken oath. He's not okay. kind of this guy who turns up, you know, with the loudest voice and kind of tries to, you know, like shatter any silence in any room he goes in. He's actually most of it is a very calculating, calculating, and cunning mind behind there. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of people wondering: is has Tapper put this guy in place? purely because he wants to root out a traitor or because he wants to see what's happening with you know where the support for the rest of his guild is at the same time obviously while strengthening his power base interesting now looking at him now i must admit whenever we see like a new character introduced into the world of guild ball one of the first things that happens is people try and associate a new character with an old character you know amber is tapper's daughter etc uh, etc et how i'm not one for that but as everyone's been asking is there any relation between corker and anvil they're both scottish so they're both scottish they're, they're, <laughs> they're both from bryce they're both from bryceland both. Um, <laughs> i know there's, there's not any direct uh, connection i mean obviously we know that we know that Mordriven isn't necessarily the largest place, so we mm. can, and we also know that Anvil was an old friend of Tapper's. So we can envision these two may have come to contact at some point, but other than a person for massive beards, probably not. <laughs> Which is always, a, you know, always a favourite, as you might imagine. Yeah, yeah. Um, fantastic and awesome. I love the um, the weaponized tankard. <laughs> yeah, that's that's something where the idea is that's Corker's weapon. He's literally bludgeoning people with his tankard. <laughs> yes, I can I see how that would work, strangely. I mean, yeah, it hasn't spilt a drop. Jamie, then, this is an interesting chap. Uh, yeah, <laughs> from, um, from, a lot of, from a lot of different perspectives. Um, so... He's quite. Start, really? he's, um, he's, re- he's, re- he's reasonably quick. I'm impressed yeah. at both. I'm I'm really impressed at his stat line in general, um, especially the tack seven, the three six kick, def, you know, def three one, pretty standard for Brewers. Two influence. 
Um, that's an interesting so, choice. There's a solid, solid reason for that, which I think is the thing we should attack first. Now, okay. Corker... You might Corker, have to look at the back of the car first, Mr. Beard. It's, oh, it's okay. fine. It's, it's fine. Corker brings with him quite a big change to the Brewers overall, because mm. with Corker, they're going to get a guild rule. Um, oh. So, yes. So, so uh, technically, I suppose, on release, if you want to be, well, technically correct about it, that's kind of correct, is that technically the, the Brewers are going to get a minor errata on the day of Corker's release. Um, or I suppose on the pre-release for salute, um, because they're going to gain a guild rule, uh, which is that beer tokens, which currently um, are on Corker's card and uh, are only brought by Pipe Pot before, beforehand, that's going to that's, those are going to be changed to being the overall guild rule for the Brewers. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're all going to bring them. Effectively, what's going to go on that that rule is the on that guild card. Sorry, is the rules for how you use beer tokens, not okay. how you generate them. Um, and Going, going forwards, it is entirely possible that starting from Corker, we can add more models to the game that will give you beer tokens to use. Corker gotcha. being the first of those. Pint Pot is going to get errated only so much in that his, his, like his card won't need to contain the uses of beer tokens anymore. It will just go down to say how many beer tokens he gets. He just starts then. with a six-pack. Co- correct, um, and that's all it will need to say. Just in terms, of, we're just shifting where those that language is from off of Pinebot's card onto a guild card. Anyway, so so that means a Corker's card. If you skip to his heroic free bar, which is the specific reason why yes. Corker only has a two-four influence stat. Um, free bar is a four-inch pulse. Friendly non-mascot guild models within this pulse gain a beer token. Now, if you can remember how beer tokens work on Pinebot, they're not going to change. They still do all of that same stuff. You could spend one of them to use a free character play, spend them to make attacks. Um, spend them to use heroic plays as well. Yeah, um, and um, if I remember rightly, they wrap turns. They wrap turns. That's oh, the that's good. So right. <laughs> <laughs> so you can, if you want to, you can start with Corker's team with them all in a big clump around him. And yep. the first thing that you can do, if you want to, is use free bar. Everyone gains a bear token. You have just gained six influence for turn two. If you want oh, to, six influence, and then or you six can influence just keep whatever. Doing it. Uh, five. You can five influence. No mas- uh, No mascot. That's correct. Sorry, yes, five. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the only thing that's been added to that guild card is a cap. And I believe, having got it to hand, I'm pretty sure that cap is two. So you can't have more than two beer tokens on any model that isn't Pint Pot. And Pint Pot's special thing is that he gets to have his cap of six. That makes sense. That makes sense. And it, presumably yeah. it's still, therefore, you can, although it will only ever matter on Pint Pot, that you can only spend three a turn. Uh, yes, yes, that's mm. also true. Yeah, it. Yeah, literally that. It won't really matter for anybody else outside of Pipe Pot, but I mean, if anybody else only has two, you can only spend two most of your turn anyways. Unless you're Corker yourself, I suppose. You could start with two, throw a third one on you and be heroic and whatever. Um, anyway, so this is why Corker brings his two front foot at the table. This is where we want to mess around with the sort of efficiency of the Brewers in a very Brewer style. And mm. it just made sense to experiment with this idea of the beer tokens actually becoming their, the, becoming their guild rule and how we play around with efficiency within this guild. Uh, and we just took a look at all the different, made sure we took a look at, back through all the guilds of, of all the different ways in which you can you can do this, all the different character plays that they have because it allows them to get their character plays for free. We've already experimented with them having their um, heroic plays for free, so we know that that's cool and you can just do this in a different way with Corker. So this, uh, when we went back through it, I thought, actually, this is a really, really cool thing to explore and it's it's whilst it's very dynamic and explosive for the brewers to have, it actually doesn't, doesn't really break them at all. It's just a different way of playing with efficiency. Yeah. So yeah, so we doubled down into that. Uh, the main thing that Corker brings is his, his massive amount of beer tokens for everybody around, uh, and he also plays around with the ways in which they they play with and against the knockdown condition. So he, like our previous rung of captains, is going to bring a global passive 
um, to the table in the form of spit and sawdust. While this model is on the pitch, friendly guild models still engage enemy models while suffering the knockdown condition. That's um, hilarious. So what that so what that means is that you basically you can still gang up and crowd out. It doesn't mean that you can make attacks. That's very. Yeah, I was going to ask simple. about parting blows, and that makes yes. perfect sense. Yeah. Yes, because we we started that. I'll be honest. That's where we started. We started with you could make attacks whilst knocked down, and it was a little bit obscene. Um, yes, unfortunately not. Through. Unfortunately not particularly funny either. When you just know there is a counter attack coming your way, and that there is literally nothing you you can you can do about it. That wasn't a particularly fun experience for people. No. So we over the course of testing and development wound that back to you engage them so they can they're always going to get their crowd out they're always going to get their gang ups um and 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 that's that's all there is to it <laughs> there's Actually, no, there's no, no particularly sorry just to jump in i was chatting with bryce yesterday about this uh, i think there's a couple other things i'm not it, it's uh, that he pointed out to me as well because i was the same place as you jamie um that means that brewers who are knocked down uh can still make uh character plays if you're targeting somebody more difficult uh, and they can also make they can also make shots on goals more difficult. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So you're still taking away dice from, say, Mercury trying to get a fire blast off, or you're still trying to, um... or Vitriol retaining a shot of goal. She knocks, yeah. she, you know, comes in. Someone is knocked down. For them, it's it's bad because they're still going to grab their ankles and stop them from kicking the ball. I, I, yeah, and I love that the the visual of this is that this is um, in my sort of list of predictions, which I should, perhaps should have recorded before this to intersplice at this stage. The idea of a a big fella at the centre of a barroom brawl and everyone just fighting tooth and nail was what sort of came to mind for me. I think it's fair to say Corker is exactly that. Yep, I think that's reasonable. Um... So- so, I mean, look, Iron Fist, of course, we've seen before, and Chisel and Hammer, that makes perfect sense. Um, it's interesting, therefore, that this is the first Brewer Captain that doesn't increase the damage output um, of the team around them in either Commanding Aura or Tooled Up. Uh, yes, so that was something we spoke specifically about, and is why Corker mm. brings Iron Fist. Um, and we... It's to do with making sure that we give each of these captains their own dedicated space. So we didn't want, whilst yeah. we wanted Corker to come in and be kind of, this is kind of, I suppose Corker comes from the veteran, the veteran captain Boar school of thought in that this is a buff to your team's efficiency and the number of attacks and the amount of output yes. they can have in the sheer volume of actions that you can make every turn, not necessarily a direct buff in terms of the numbers that you're going to say when you say take this amount of damage. Yeah, when um, I say when I when I say you know it doesn't directly Im- improve the amount of damage uh, a model makes, because that isn't strictly true, and I am very much looking forward to making five attacks with Hooper in a turn. I can tell you that's pretty glorious from experience, yeah. um, and uh, or or six attacks from decimate as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I'm going to have to double check whether that is a bit, is a bit, a bit too in a minute, but whatever. Um, no, that makes sense. Whiskey, whiskey chaser. Next, next point of call as well, where I said interactions with the knockdown condition. So this is another case of us um, adding additional playbook results as a benefit to an attack. Um, so whiskey chaser's character play the next time target friendly guild model makes a successful attack the friendly model may add an additional knockdown playbook result um so whatever as long as you hit at least once this mm. person's attack is going to knock down so you can throw that onto models that don't actually have access to the knockdown condition such as friday if you wanted to um you could actually reading that now you could throw that on scum um <laughs> or quaff <laughs> uh, <laughs> just go buff, sit down, um, or on to on to cock themselves if you want so to. So Friday's um, learned to to throw that dirty knife really hard. Um. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's 
It's not so much throw knife as throw sword, perhaps, no. Um, yeah. and, or you could also throw it on some models that already have a really good access to the knockdown condition themselves. So, for example, if you're really worried about the counterattack from a sturdy model, Corker could put Whiskey Chaser on himself, and then yeah. you could do knock, momentous knockdown, knockdown, <laughs> and yeah. just burn straight through that sturdy. Also, I mean, like, if you're going in with Hooper, as so frequently you do, if you've not had the opportunity to knock a model down, but you still just have Hooper's activation, being able to mean that that first swing doesn't get wasted as it were so you're, you know you, you hit that momentous four at the top of his playbook it's now a momentous four knockdown uh yes yes it will be yeah it wouldn't you wouldn't buff the damage for it he would so he wouldn't no. get his own belt shove the boot in but yeah no, he'd no, get absolutely. knocked down on that first hit and he'd still get to pick a damage result yeah and absolutely. does this in some ways bring decimate back to season three <laughs> because now we have a stagger knockdown on three again that's mm, true, but you also, I mean, that's the case for basically anybody. Anybody you put yeah, Whiskey Chaser yeah. is going to have that low knockdown. Oh, no, I, 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 I'm not complaining. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're going to get some really cool, powerful results off this, absolutely. Yeah, or just Spigot being able to trigger Sturdy on one net hit. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and so, so Iron Fist as well, just dragging back to this as well for a second, mm. is trying to add a little bit of counterbalancing to that. Uh, your activation choice of how you use Corker each turn because we've noticed that because quite a lot of supporting abilities on Corker obviously is global passive which doesn't have a range on it it's just while he's there you get that the heroic for everyone else getting free attacks or additional beer tokens to make attacks with using heroic players with that could also affect Corker himself but again can be classified as quite supporty uh, Whiskey Chaser is probably going to be better basically when you can stack up other miniatures and cruise missile them in that's probably where you're going to get the best effect out of Corker but Iron Fist only impacting Corker himself just means that you you have that real choice over am i going to do things with caucus specifically this turn i mean i could because i can actually get quite a lot of damage out of this captain yep. by using iron fist on myself and going in and making attacks so it doesn't it doesn't pigeonhole corker being specifically a backline or you know i don't know if brewers have a backline model but i suppose you know not <laughs> not, not necessarily the forefront of a fight like tapper pretty much always is yeah. corker has that choice of he can do that sometimes but you can also take a slight step back um into playing these the esters position and he can kind of do a bit of both that makes sense. and also it's it's funny that you mentioned Esther's there because of course, as any Brewers player will be familiar, there will be that term where you just go, "I'm going to tool up Esther's and stab someone to death," um, and this looks very, very, very familiar to that. So, Legless Drunk as his it's defensive wonderful. tech. Say again, it's wonderful. That's interesting because this is of course the first time we've seen a a D six mechanic. <laughs> Uh, so where where where's where's the inspiration for for that come from? Talk us through the the path to this. Do you want to take this one, Sherwin? Happy for you to do it if you want. So there's this guy called Matt, and um, <laughs> sometimes he has ideas. And um, no, so I think I think as Jamie will probably agree, um, this is definitely this is definitely a Matt special. This is something where Matt kind of had this idea in his head um, mm. that he wants. He really wants to cut one sort of us to try and put in this mechanic where, because we haven't had necessarily had D6 before, exactly as you've just said, it's something where we put this in, see how it goes, basically, see what the reaction is, see how the community kind of settles with it. Because okay. it yeah. is something. It, it's absolutely an experimentation because, because Guild Ball is such a game of precise placements and measurements and has always had that element of sort of nitty gritty measurements about it yeah. for such a long time. Um, Matt's just keen to throw in a curveball and just see how the community react to it and how the how the how, how people handle it basically. Fair. Who enjoys who enjoys playing with it and who doesn't? 
It and, also kind of feeds into the character of having a bit more of a random element as well. Exactly like we talked about with this big barroom brawl. You know, there is mm. this kind of sense of chaos inside of this character. This sort of unpredictability, this kind of um, sense of, you know, it, it's not really, yeah, there's lots of stuff like, yeah, again, the model's engaging while you're knocked down, getting extra knockdowns on stuff. There's there's loads of things with this character where it's, it's all about kind of, you know, creating this, this idea and this theme of kind of this just sort of real uncontrollable creature. Um, and that's exactly sort of yeah where that comes from, I think. So just to to clarify, it's it's like any other push. It's not that I have to take. If I roll a six, I can push him four inches if I want. Uh, yes, yes, absolutely. Sorry, yes, yes, because just because core rules for go ball pushes. Yes. Is, uh, yeah, up to, is, is up to. I've got that slight uh, confirmation by the way. I've got the sneaky message off to Bryce. It is confirmed. You can have a max cap of two beer tokens per miniature. That is, that is not pipe pot. So you can have five attack Hooper. You can have six attack battery decimate. You can go a bit loud. <laughs> um, I may have said both to you privately beforehand that I'm, I'm tempted to set myself a little challenge of taking one of these captains to to Vengeance Five, seeing as I've, I've got the time off work. Corker is winning. I'm like very enamoured with Corker. That's fantastic. Looking forward to trying him out on the pitch. It's very Nervous. cool. Nervous I know, I know. I'm, I'm probably going to say that I've just turned the page and I'm probably going to say it after this lass as well. So let's have a look at Rivet. Um, Sherwin, um, how does how does Rivet fall between this sort of the, not civil war but the the the, uh, the the hostilities between Pinvice and Ballista? In a weird way, she almost doesn't. Um, she she's not really there for the power struggle of things. Rivet okay. uh, represents this figure. Well, with with the um, Rivet's a slightly different character to Ballista and also Pinvice in the sense that she's not one of the uh, the sort of leading artificers, as it were. Uh, mm. In the same sense, for example, that. Um, Obviously, Pimvice is the Artificer Queen. We have um, Lister is the Lord Artificer. There's various different titles um, built around. There's very archaic kind of roles with, of artificers within the actual uh, within the actual Engineers Guild. Yeah, there's an Artificer General who would have been the person responsible for leading any of their armies, that sort of stuff. Um, various different roles. Uh, Rivet isn't one of those. She's the first captain we've seen, which doesn't really necessarily have that role. Rivet represents a new up-and-coming figure within the Guild. Um, and she's someone who's managed to get quite a lot of support, not only with uh, the old guards who sort of see mm. there's very much kind of this roll up your sleeves kind of, oh, I remember being like that when I was young, you know, working in the trenches or, you know, when the sieges were happening during the century wars, that sort of stuff. She's very reminiscent as a mindset of that, very pragmatic, very kind of let's get this done, guys, kind of leadership style. Um, but also amongst the younger generations as well, um, because Blister has perhaps moved into more left-wing leanings should we say mm-hmm. um and gone off on his adventures there's this kind of new sense of kind of progressiveness that's happening within the engineers guild now okay. and whereas we no longer have various different uh, artificers and uh people in their workshops kind of jealously guarding their secrets there's now this sort of new younger generation of of engineers who are sharing notes from their projects they're now basically sharing the knowledge amongst everybody uh to kind of really spread out what's going on and Rivet is definitely at the forefront of that. She's one of these more progressive-leaning characters. So she's kind of got the support of both groups. You know, the younger generations, you know, she's one of them. She's one of their leading figures. The older generations see a lot in her that they appreciate. And it kind of sits slightly un, you know, sort of uncertainly. But one thing that no one is going to be able to deny is the fact that she's an extremely effective guild ball player. 
she's mm. yeah she's a very capable leader she inspires the people around her to work harder she has a very very good intrinsic understanding of how mechanical work which we'll kind of get onto in a moment um yeah she's definitely a very unorthodox uh character as well she's not necessarily leading like everybody else you know pin vice is kind of very much a controller she's sort of you know yeah. i'll control my team to do this and that that sort of stuff ballista is very much about you know a, a team around him who he kind of can influence immediately rivet is literally like a battering ram she's just storming <laughs> up the pitch kind of thing kind of leading everybody from the you know leading everybody from the front dragging them with her and sort of storming into the enemy lines that's really sort of the way that she sees it very hands-on very direct approach um, definitely the hammer to someone else's anvil. Yeah, I love uh, you know, the the look of absolute fierceness on that woman's face in the the artwork that Doug's done is fantastic, and have to give him the nod to to Rosie the Riveter, who ha- can only be a source of inspiration on this. Looks f- looks phenomenal. Um, so, is it fair to say she's more of a? I don't know, less less of a creator in, in ways the other two, but more of a, 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 a more towards maintenance and improvement. Yeah, I would say she's certainly more of a mechanic, perhaps, than the other two. Is probably the way I'd look at it. If you look at Pinvice, she's kind of very much from the design perspective, the architect kind of character. You have um, Ballista, who's kind of the mad engineer, sort of inventor kind of type, and now apparently he's an entrepreneur or kind of almost a uh, a political figure. Mm. And then well, now we have we have Rivet, who is very much the kind of um, the raw engineer she's the raw mechanical side of things no absolutely fantastic i lo- love the look of this model isn't it? you sent me the artwork earlier on it's kind of like a tease and um just that the threat that comes off her is mm. very very impressive um i love the fact that she's a, a def 3-2 model so you've got like the full gambit then you've got like a 3-1 tough hide a 5-0 reanimate and then a 3-2 um defensive model incredibly incredibly resilient um, Jamie, is it fair to say that elbow grease has formed a lot of the information on a lot, informed a lot of the choices on this lady? Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, well, the, the combination of elbow grease and use this, uh, yeah. you can with those two character players, especially if you put them on the same model, they mm. can they can completely flip a model on its head. The main ones that stood out to me uh, during during playtest were Locust uh, yeah. and Lo- Locust and uh, Colossus. Um, less so for obviously if you use this on Colossus you're already down to 2 inch melee zone but you can take those two and some people are just going oh well they're pretty tough to kill and they don't really do too much outside of that uh, not quite true uh, yeah. <laughs> they're now going to hit you and they're going to hit you real hard and you're going to feel it and it's going to hurt and they're going to get a lot of momentum for it and yeah. then you're also going to be unable to kill them <laughs> um, ho- Hoist as well sprung out like you know he's got a, a one two three damage spread all of which are non-momentous they now can be um, mm-hmm. Ratchet is very much the same um yeah, that's that's it's going to be interesting. It's going to change things up. Um, even uh, the other one I was looking at was was Veteran Velocity, um, mm. with uh, who currently has you know one again one non momentous one two three on their playbook, which can all change. So the the inspiration for Elbow Grease <clears throat> kind of came for came from the the starting point of when we're talking about global passives and how part of their intent is to make you take some of the miniatures mm. that you've been playing with for years and allow you to use them in a different way than you've used them before. And what's, um, more, what's more engineering than that? Right, exactly, exactly. Um, and and so whilst, whilst it's generally the global passives that are bringing this to the table, this sort of 
that train of thought is also informing our choices when we're coming to the heroic players' traits, other, basically other abilities in the game, and that certainly informed elbow grease uh, and the fact that it you could and to an extent use this as well, but it's that's a bit more of a bolt on because it already existed, but. Um, just taking those models that already existed and just going, you know what, you can use this model entirely differently and we'll just reset people's expectations on what you can what you're gonna get from this. So mm. as you're gonna stand against those models that are just like, actually this doesn't have really much moment very much momentous damage and then suddenly flipping that table on somebody and going, actually it does. Uh, and then go, Ooh, okay. And it's just a different experience for both players all around. Um, particularly as I've just read the back of the card and reached follow my lead. Good lord <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty cool, right? <laughs> oh my god. So this this character very much came up in a conversation that Matt and I, we, we, um, just to give everybody a little bit of design insight on some of how this works, uh, on one of the long drives to Manchester that Matt and I had, we were kind of talking about what we'd like to do with different captains. Mm. And as possibly one of the people in the SFG team who's played the most engineers, um, I kind of found myself really pushing, what are we going to do with this character? Like, how mm. can we build this? And Matt and I were talking about, we kind of hit a slight barrier in the sense of okay so matt sort of said oh we could do this and this it's like yeah but pinvice does that like yeah oh we could do this well pinvice does that how we do this mm. our ballista does that and we kind of both found ourselves there and it kind of suddenly went well hang on a minute how about we take this character just like jamie said and go well let's make them into a fighting team instead yeah let's flip that on its head like let's let's make this team let's play make a team under rivet feel more like she's just re-engineered the team to what she wants it to be yeah, what? The, yeah, how does she want this? How does she want these guys to uh, operate? And that's definitely where use this and elbow grease came from. Just like Jamie said, like, what's the thing that engineer players have asked for the most? Oh, we haven't got any two-inch melee reach models. Well, now you can just get it out on the stick. Which one would you like? Yeah, exactly. Um, which obviously works super well. And exactly like Jamie said about Colossus, right? Colossus with elbow grease is incredible um, because everything on his playbook at that point is momentous. Mm. Whatever you hit, you generate momentum, which is really cool. Um, I'll move over to Jamie for the anecdotal part of Follow My Lead, because I'm sure there's um, there's some stories there, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, just because we like to push, we like to push uh, the envelope, um, and we we have a philosophy which is test broken. It's in, uh, for us, it's yeah, but... much it's much easier to spot something that's overpowered than it is to spot something that's underpowered. Generally, mm. um, so we will often when we have a new idea, we will often go, okay, what do we think is the most powerful version of this idea? Let's test that and then start tweaking it downwards to being reasonable. Rivet started at tax seven. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we we quite early on found out that that was not reasonable. <laughs> that is not okay. <laughs> no, no, no. Was, uh, especially because uh, the vast majority of engineers are tac five. Uh, yeah, so they're, they and are built five. around being tac five, presumably. Yeah, well, I mean specifically because they all have five long playbooks as a result mm. of that as well. They don't have, they haven't, you know, brewer playbooks in this instance. Certainly, for most of them, is going to be a brand new thing. Um, mm. And you know there are there are degrees at which you can push that, and there are degrees to which you can't push that. <laughs> um, and, and you know we came up against those. So uh, um, the other thing then, Jamie's not telling you is mainspring. Yeah, I was going to oh, say no, I'm, that was the one I forgot. That was the one I forgot. Yes, yeah, no, I'm I'm really pleased it says squaddy because the idea yes. of a tax six mainspring <laughs> really made me laugh. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm trying to remember the exact one it was. Yeah, there was definitely a playtest game where someone was like, "Yeah, I charged him with mainspring and they wrapped." And I can't remember if it's bushes or dodges, but they wrapped for something like eight inches of reposition, whichever <laughs> way around it was. Um, uh, you're like, yeah, let's let's probably not do that. Let's, yeah, let's that's, 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 that, that's Quaff's thing. Like, we'll yeah. we'll leave, we'll leave that to to Quaff. Yeah, because he's got that double dodge on two, hasn't he? Yes, yes. Um, as funny as it was, we decided not to go down that route. Um, we, we 
just moving on slightly as well, Toe has taken a little bit of a sort of backwards inspiration from how the miners work. Mm. Um, so I think originally it's not anymore. Yeah, because it's, it's a jog now. This originally started as a place. Um, a start of <laughs> an advance made by uh, this model, friendly models uh, that friendly models that this model has moved within two inches of during the advance may make a jog directly towards this model. So that started out as Rivet walks past them, they get placed near Rivet at the end of the move. Mm. Kind of like a really big version of Fish's placement with you're yeah. coming with me. And then we're just like, no, no, after repeated testing, that's definitely not okay either. So as I say, start with the start with the nuts idea and then sort of eventually wheel it back into yeah. something that's much more reasonable to play with. So we ended up turning that back into it, obviously a jog straight towards Rivet. And so it's, this allows Rivet to, when she moves forwards and goes offensively with her team, she's not going on her own. It's kind of like she's granting everyone around her tag along. Uh, that's, yep. that's kind of what's happening and you can bring them all with her and then just, just kind of like I'm just going to bring the scrum with me we're going to yeah. throw it at you all at once um, and then you can take the you can suddenly take that Colossus you can take that Locust with her and then bring them with you and they can de- you can deploy those into the fight immediately um, giving giving River herself an attack bonus uh, particularly from Colossus when, she, when she's making her attacks or if she doesn't want to, make, want to make too many attacks perhaps she can then immediately throw elbow grease onto one of those two that's got to go next and do some real pain um, really really cool little uh, engineer flavoured um, threat extension for them uh, and it, as I say it mainly allows them to kind of deploy a scrum in your face yeah. which, is kind of, which is kind of cool um, and then cemented by protect those close which we have seen before can you remember yep. where? Tower Yes, indeed. So um, ah. this um, started out as a legendary play, and then we kind of felt actually this is it's going to be more appropriate to as long as we can control the size of the aura, it's going to be more appropriate to use as a heroic. And then mm. this kind of just cements the fact that re- remembering that whilst Rivet is bringing a more fighty element to the engineers, that they certainly promote being resilient generally in small R yes. more than more than being butchery damage outputs and this mm. is just cementing that idea that your team is hard to take down uh, then they're going to do more damage than they previously did they're not actually well they are and they're not they're not actually doing more damage than they did before no yes a bit with the extra attack from lend from follow my lead but elbow grease is just using the, the damage on their playbooks that already existed mm. um just improving then, it it's exactly, improving it's improving on a previous design it's the most engineering thing i can think of Absolutely, absolutely. And then just solidifying that with uh, Protect Those Close, making sure everyone's got sturdy and they're just a little bit tough to take out on the reply as well yeah. without going without going too overboard about it. Do you expect um, Rivet to have a larger impact on the pick rate of engineers than perhaps some of the other guilds? Um, I really do, actually, because this is perhaps one of the one of the biggest changes of core mm. design for a guild that we've done with Because it really shifts so their play style more so than... Yeah. As cool as, as, as Culverin and Cutlass are, and as fantastic as Corker looks, you know, with Corker you've got a brawling takeout game captain. With um with Culverin you've got a, a toolbox um versatile approach. Neither of those particularly move the guilds outside of their existing design spaces, where it's fair to say that Rivet kind of nudges engineers out of a pre existing comfort zone. Yeah, it really does, uh, and we're really interested to see how the the engineers pick up. Actually, I don't know from personal experience. I'm going to pick out one person in particular. John Parrish is someone from Roll Better. Has spoken to me several times. Like, I want to play engineers yes. in the fighting team, and I just can't. And I'm like, uh, just like it's been so difficult not telling him about this. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, as, I, as, as as we were reading through the card and discussing it, like John's glee immediately did occur to me because I think he'll be very very happy with this. Yeah, absolutely, and I don't think he'll be alone either. I think engineers will be will be 
really, really glad to see this as an additional option for them. Uh, but at the same time, I think we've managed to create Rivet's playstyle in such a way that feels like you're right. It does expand the amount of different playstyles available to the Engineers Guild, but I don't. I think it does so in a flavorful way. Like it, you, if we had just deployed Veteran Boar into the Engineers, you know, yeah. <laughs> but you know, it wouldn't be appropriate for them whatsoever. But I think Rivet achieves what we want to do with them, and it just expands ever so slightly in a way that is thematic and and makes sense for them. It's going to be re- it's going to be certainly one of those really interesting things that at, at a tournament, if my opponent declares Pinvice and Rivet as their captains in their roster, I really don't know where they're going to go, and that's um, that's fan- that's fantastic. It sort of takes out that um, homogenous um, styles that we we may have seen in the past um, to to really sort of open up exactly what I can expect from my opponent or more appropriately, to confuse me and have no idea of what I'm going to see from my opponent. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That should be cool. That should hopefully be a fun experience. (laughs) Excellent. Moving on through this document, sadly reaching towards the end. (laughs) Excellent. Um, Corbelli, is that how we're pronouncing it? Yes. Excellent. Yes, that's correct. So, Sherman, where has this gentleman occurred from? Or appeared Uh, from, should I say? uh, so very much Corbelli is, if you can think of your stereotypical kind of international footballer, uh, yeah. soccer, I should say, for our American cousins. Um, very much. I'm sure. I'm sure they. Uh, I'm, I'm sure they'll work it out. We don't mean hand egg. No, he's he's not right, quite got the build uh, for no. a hand egg player. <laughs> um, so very much that sort of stereotypical kind of uh, footballer kind of character. Um, really, where he's from is really very much. Um, obviously, one of the things we've talked about. Um, I. I know in the past we've certainly shown it more than once has been the sort of training grounds or the proving grounds for yes. various different guilds um the butchers obviously quite infamous with their sort of very much uh their very brutal ones but we've also seen a little bit of what the masons have got as well and a lot of that is much more centered on soccer if you can envision it's more something mm. that's set up by honor yeah and the first lady's training school is really about soccer itself rather than learning how to beat someone into the ground and corbelli is not a new figure there he's he's been part of the Masons Guild for a very long time but he's really someone who's he's got incredible raw talent but has never really sort of found that moment or that opportunity to kind of step up um, to the next level to almost sort of make it to the pitch if that makes sense Okay. purely because it's just been trying to work out why that is it's not that he's a lazy player it's not that he hasn't perhaps wanted he hasn't had the, uh, the sort of motivation to get there well it's more so much he's just lacked some sort of drive to sort of really push him over the line and kind of make him into the player that everyone knows he has the potential to be. Now, the thing that we've seen that's really flipped that on its head and that's made him finally step out is actually the mantle of captaincy. Mm. And this kind of brings a new um, philosophy to the world of Guild Ball, which is that Guilds are no longer looking at teams and saying, we have one captain. Yes, this and that was certainly something we discussed when we, when we were talking about uh, veteran captain bore on the last of these podcasts that we did and that, Jupa as well yeah and uh, that um the concept of one captain per team is very much a sort of real world 21st century philosophy that we've put on these models rather than being a reflection of the game world itself yeah, exactly i mean if you can vision these guys are almost like military commanders Mm. Um, in a certain perspective and Corbelli is no exception Corbelli is someone where he certainly doesn't replace Hammer Hammer is still ostensibly the the true Mason's captain that's in the most sense of the word that most people would look at and recognize Corbelli is very much stepped up to a new role and 
moved on to the team so that you know by the guild not necessarily by anybody else and they've said okay try being captain you know you're a mm. great player you know you certainly you're well his thing is he's a he's an ace striker that's his his title you know you are incredible presence on the t- on the pitch you know you can score goals like nobody else we've seen within this guild including flint um you know this is this is the job for you step out onto that pitch and make you know here's your chance for greatness but what I think is the most entertaining part about Corbelli is that it's it's given us the opportunity to do some very much more football-y kind of things with him. Mm. Uh, one of the most exciting things, we'll get onto that, and I'm sure Jamie will have lots of little bits and pieces, but make sure when we get to the legendary play, um, just I'll grab a bit of, air, of radio time just to quickly talk about the naming on it, I think. Absolutely. Um, because um, there's there's some quite fun meanings with this that we've had some, uh, oh, that okay. Matt and I had some fun with the naming passes. Yeah, there's definitely a, there's definitely a theme here of sort of returning to... Uh, British football slang in some degrees in, in inappropriate ways um, so just picking one out for instance dummy pass I don't know if that will translate necessarily particularly well for our American friends perhaps but like so for the, the literal meaning for that for us is fake is a fake pass uh, yeah. or fame if you want um, and it's the same when as, as I say which Joe says when we get on to the, to the uh, legendary play uh, and uh, and yeah um, so we've got, already got some existing character plays where their names have been kind of dictated for us because they're already in the game acrobatics for instance yeah very useful little character play but the rest of that stuff has been certainly informed by that anyway going into the overalls um corbelli is a frighteningly good goal scorer uh, i mean he's, he's got a baseline five I mean, eight kick <laughs> he's he's got a five eight kick he's got a two inch man his own he has a for the first two columns of his playbook is a playbook that shark would die for you know, <laughs> I mean, if you listen uh, very carefully, you can hear my co-host Connor exploding, and he doesn't know why. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I know exactly what he's going to be doing for the next few months. Yeah. Jesus, um, there's a lot of very, 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 very cool stuff you could do here, um, mm. and I mean, just uh, just the idea of like, I mean, dummy passes is just it's a very simple. Started off with a very simple idea of like, remember the the problem we had with the order before they had Ball of Light, where they. If yeah. they didn't have access to the ball, they couldn't do all their cool trickery. And dummy pass is, uh, is an ability that's come from that train of thought of we really want the football captains and the footballing teams to be able to have some access to some of this really cool dynamic mm. stuff they have with the ball when they don't have the ball. Yeah. Um, so which is going to be used either for you know those models to chase down a dead ball or maybe in a really cool thematic way, maybe Corbelli does already have the ball and he's using dummy pass because he wants to keep hold of it himself. Mm. Um, which is, I guess is, you know, is your... Is your um, it's just is a cinematic use of that ability, I guess. Um, towering presence is uh, we've seen something very similar to this before, um, which is basically a renamed version of the Harry the Hats uh, inspiring hat. Oh, yeah, uh, that makes yeah, of course. So uh, allowing you to use um, pass and move and snapshot for one less in, one less momentum. Um, yeah. So just getting all those what formerly known as teamwork actions off uh, for a much cheaper price. Um, close control, very very handy for any for any footballing uh, model. I mean, and yeah. kind of. To some extent, made makes Corbelli kind of the um, what's the phrase here? The the can't think of the right word. Spiritual successor, I guess, to Flint okay. uh, in terms of from a captain's perspective. In terms of having extremely good footballing abilities, backed up by close control and the Masons. Mm. Um, and now and, having two of those is, is is quite frightening. Yes, yes. Uh, and then we've got we come to the. This is a particularly well. I suppose they're all unique. This is a is an unorthodox global passive. Which is saying something, considering it's a relatively new concept. <laughs> making making space. Uh, while this model is on the pitch, when a friendly guild model declares a pass before choosing a target, another friendly guild model may make a four-inch dodge. 
Each friendly model can only dodge once per turn as a result of this trait. So the, the idea for this being that, say I've got the ball, I've done my done my 8-inch sprint with Corbelli, and I want to pass to Flint. Unfortunately, yep. Flint is 12 inches away. He's not 8 inches away. So currently, I can't pass to Flint. I could pass. I could kick the ball in his direction and hope it scatters to him, or I could pick another target or do something else with the ball. In this instance, I could declare that pass, have Flint dodge 4 inches towards Corbelli, now be in range, make the pass, and then do the teamwork action, the, teamwork action, the dodges or the snapshots or whatever as I previously. Alternatively, you can just start using this for dodges all over the pitch for different reasons. Yep. So you could have, you could have, for instance, I don't know, you've got brick and marbles and people have engaged your counter charge bots. You could just start making passes in a different part of the field and just completely disengage your counter charge bots and now they're up and running again, even though it's yep. completely separated from what's going on. <laughs> um, this, just, is a, this, is, this is a guild ball through ball. It's Yes, different. yes, absolutely. Um, it, it just, it, I think incredible flexibility in itself is an understatement. <laughs> mm. um, uh, there's people are going to do stuff with this, which there, there will be some 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 interesting moments <laughs> as uh, all of a sudden what you've set up gets destroyed and removed, and you find yourself with the ball in the back of the net. That's a phenomenal rule. Really looking forward to seeing how people more suited to the football game than I. Uh, make use of this yeah absolutely uh, and just uh, just kind of again in different ways kind of like how ball of light does for the order now just making use of the ball as a resource in a different way to how we've seen it before mm. and in this case done as a global passive so this impacts it's, it's, yeah it's, it's, it's everybody whenever anybody makes a pass to anybody at all on the masons team it's going to be incredible uh, <laughs> and that's even, that's even before we get to the legendary play and that's before uh, the legendary play yep so, Sherwin, you said you want to take a moment for this one? So, the literary play is called playing the game. Um, now, that's definitely a very British kind of football term, but what I think we've achieved here is is worth note because it effectively works on three different levels. Uh, the first one is playing the game, as in, if you to look, if you were to look at it, you know, the Mason player using Corbelli is literally playing the soccer is literally playing soccer by using this. Um, yeah. There's no other way of, outside of that. Um, the second one is kind of an admonishment side of things. It's that kind of very much British slang of "come on, play the game." It's really mm. something, something where you look at if someone is dead balling, if someone is kind of you know punting into a scrum, saying, "Oh, you can't come and get the football from me, so you can't play this game." It's "come, come, come play, come play the game, mate." That sort of thing. So the name yeah. works there. And of course, the third one is the soccer. It's very much a soccer thing, and anybody who's within uh, certainly anybody who's watched European soccer will definitely get this. It's when a player takes a dive, and the commentator just kind of goes, <laughs> "Oh, he's playing the game. You know, he's just he's working the system. Yeah, like you can't you can't get upset at him. He's in the penalty box. He's taking a dive because that's what you do to try and get a penalty. He's flopped. He's definitely yeah. he's yeah he's definitely not really following the official rules, but he's using the rules to his advantage. He's inverted commas playing the game. Playing the game." And that's really where this came from as a name. That's very nice. That is very nice. Um, it's interesting because one of the you know you were talking we were talking about John from Rollbetter a moment ago. I know full well um, from the conversations with Dan Adams that uh, you know, what you know as a as a, a man that's very closely associated with the Masons Guild. You know what do you want from a new captain in, in the Masons? And his immediate response was was Masons Corsair. Um, so I think he'll be very, very happy with playing the game. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, that's one way you can look at it. I mean, I'd look at Corbelli as being like Mason's Mason's shark and siren became one person. Yeah. Um, 
uh, and making space is kind of, I don't know, and there's a little bit of, of help from from Scalpel there because making space is kind of like a footballing version of voodoo strings in my head. Um, and yeah, and the combination of making space and towering presence for... Yeah, and, du- and yeah. dummy pass as well. And dummy pass, like, they're going to be, it's going to be like trying to hold water. Yeah. Except all of that water has two armour. Um I'm very excited about the idea that I can get an, a 12-inch dodge on Flint before he actually gets the ball. I was going to uh, ask, Sean, is this why you've been furiously painting Masons by any chance? Yeah, the problem is is that I've kind of decided to change my paint scheme, so now I have to repaint them all. Oh, so they're not going um, to be well, Arsenal can, Masons anymore. I, I decided to start painting them, and they were wearing red jersey with white slacks, and I realised halfway through that I'm basically painting Arsenal. Um, yeah. And... <laughs> I, the reason I kind of got there is I couldn't find an appropriate claret to do a West Ham team, but I now have, and I'm seriously tempted to make Hammer a hammer. I mean, they um, come on that up the irons, literally. Like, sure. yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I'm very tempted, and I don't think I'd have to. Try, all I need to do is repaint the red to be like, um, you know, again, as I've said, a claret color. I can then put a blue stripe on the white and make the shorts, and I think I'm there. Yep. Uh, I'm very done, seriously mate. tempted. I'm very seriously tempted. But then I've gone to all the effort of painting these miners as well. I just have to paint more models. That's what it is. Oh well. <laughs> too many, too many models. Too many models. I want to play and not enough time to play them. That's a great place to be, right? That's not a bad choice. Yeah, as, yeah. I always say that Jamie. I, I believe judges an errata or a rules release by how much stress and anxiety it causes me um, in trying <laughs> to decide what to play. Um, entirely, entirely, my friend. You are, you are my temperature gauge for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so this is going to be an interesting. Am I right in thinking? So yes, today in the time machine, it is salute. Um, and am I right in thinking, Jamie? You said that some of these are going to be available as a pre-order. So, uh, so what salute is is going to be a, is a is a pre-release of these captains. Their general release is actually a week after salute. Um, okay. So and salute is going to so when you're at salute, there'll be a number of these available for, for purchase. But that and so their rules will be released on this day, um, but their general release isn't until basically a week fo- a week following that. Uh, gotcha. So and it's uh, not idea, like else we... will have a long time to wait. Yeah, basically. Yeah. I mean, I, and that, where that comes from, basically, is we, we actually didn't really want to do a pre-release to start off with. We've, we've tended to go a bit away from those. You'll notice we've done fewer pre-releases in the last few months, actually, than, yeah. we, than we've done previously. Um, but it's just literally that we, we had pinned Salute in our calendar as the time we wanted to get these out. And we can only get a small number of them in time for Salute, which isn't enough for a general release, um, but it's enough for us to do a pre-release. And then we and we can ensure, basically with our shipping timelines, we can ensure that we have enough of them for the general release the following week. We didn't want to be putting ourselves out there only to disappoint people, as you know we're trying to move away from doing that. No, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. Perfect. Plus, as a side note, sorry, Hmm. I can say plus as a side note, and this is person, this is definitely a personal one. I think it's nice that we get we kind of getting back to that spectacle of salute, you know, of some sort of salute. some sort of reason to be excited about coming to see us at Salute. I'm not I mean, necessarily it, saying that wasn't there last year with God Tier, but I remember the first couple of times we were at Salute, these huge great queues, for example, where people kind of can't wait to get the model. It's yeah. really nice to know that we'll have a similar sort of thing happening this year. I mean, you had it last year with a certain extent with the Exiles model. Um, that got around the room mm. fairly quickly that, you know, you had that box on sale mm. when no one saw that coming. Um, and it's, it, you know, it is the UK's biggest trade show. It makes sense for there to be uh, a degree of spectacle, as you said. Um, so, gents, before before we sign off, is there anything you want to sort of revisit on any of these five models? Not four, but five um, brand new Guild Ball models. Uh, anything in closing? Jamie? 
I think we've got. I think we've covered the gist of it really. Just uh, once again, as usual, as the last four captains, I'm really excited to see how the 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 playing meta evolves really, and how many people are taking these to, to events and, and how they get on. Yeah, and certainly, I'm, I'm. I think I and many others will be very impressed at just how quickly a turnaround there has been from the last batch to this wave. That it's not been a. Um, it's not like you know this is happening once every six months or anything like that. This the the, the there's somewhat of a relentless pace to the release of Guild Ball at the moment, and uh, the 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 uh, the meta is forever changing as a result. So well done, lads. I'm gonna quickly jump in here for my one. Um, what do you think, Mister Beardman? Um, I'm very impressed by all of them. I have to say, um, Corbelli. This is we go back in in opposite order. I love what people are going to do with Corbelli. Um, I've been attempting more of the football game myself of late, and it's fair to say that it is a lost and mercurial art that makes no sense to me whatsoever. Um, so whilst I, Cor- Corbelli kind of reminds me of Yukai, and I look at the card and go, that's phenomenal. I can't wait to see what other people do with it. Um, Rivet and Corker are phenomenal and right in my wheelhouse of just punching nonsense and... Um, Culverin and Cutlass. I, I really like the the. It's interesting. We, um, I think it was on Strictly the Worst, Jamie. You were talking about Skulk, about how goalkeepers can't just be. While Skulk has been the most interesting goalkeeper made to date, future goalkeepers cannot just be reprints of his card. And I think this is a really nice take on that. Is that it is not just a reprint of Skulk's card, but uh, especially with Quick off the line. I think that's a phenomenal goalkeeping trait and has a. For what is effectively a two-inch dodge has a surprising amount of versatility in terms of how you use it and there's a myriad of different effects that you can trigger off that but it's not just rush keeper it's not just a glut mass keeper at the back you know, like sort of compound and things like that so um yeah very interesting to see there's quite a wide variety of mechanics to achieve um quite similar things but that's uh, I, I don't mean similar as a bad thing there if that makes sense no, absolutely. I think you've covered it quite well there, and just I, I, I think we've quite well hit the, or quite succinctly hit the, the notion that we wanted Cutlass and Culverin to share the, uh, the the burden of being a goalkeeper between them, and I think we've mm. done that quite reasonably. Um, and that you're not just specific. We really want to avoid, as I said earlier, just limiting one model to being stood next to their goalpost, and I think we've managed to achieve that not being the case uh, between the two of them. Um, yeah. So I'm quite I'm, I'm quite excited uh, by by how how players are going to incorporate that into their teams. Excellent. Excellent. Gentlemen, thank you very much for your time and uh, for talking about these five new models, which hopefully by now I already have in my hands. Hmm. Um, I look forward to future conversations, if you know, should they happen to happen. <laughs> Oh, may the beard!